Hello, and welcome to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, where we delve into the fascinating world of manufacturing and explore the culture that drives its success. I'm your host, Jim Mayer, and today I'm thrilled to have two incredible guests on the show, Scott and Ashley Harms. Scott is the president of MetalQuest Unlimited, a cutting-edge manufacturing company that is leading the charge in advanced CNC-based production. With over 25 years of experience in the industry, Scott has built an impressive team of more than 80 employees and established a reputation for efficiency and innovation. Joining him is Ashley Harms, who after earning her degree in advertising and public relations, jumped headfirst into the world of manufacturing to help start a new location for MetalQuest in Northern Idaho. Her experience in kickstarting MetalQuest's expansion has exposed her to a wide range of manufacturing roles, topics, and experiences. Today, we're going to talk about the cultural journey at MetalQuest, women in manufacturing, robotics and technology, and three key initiatives they have implemented in their organization to improve their culture. Get ready for an upbeat and exciting conversation that will give you a glimpse into the world of manufacturing and how to build a culture that drives success. So sit back, relax, and let's talk culture in the world of manufacturing. Hey, Scott. Hey, Ashley. How are you guys doing today? Thanks for being on. We're doing great. Thank you for having great. us. Yeah, awesome. thank you. Awesome. Uh, this is uh, a first. Uh, I've had multiple guests on the show before, but they all used one computer. So it's really neat to have multiple guests in two uh, very unique areas of the country. So welcome and thanks for being one of my first here at the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Absolutely. We're Absolutely. Excited. This is going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so for those people listening, I want to, uh, I always like to try and connect the dots for you, how I know a guest. Uh, I was working for uh, a large trade organization in the manufacturing space. And uh, as part of that, uh, a lot of the national associates or some of the national associates would create uh, international tech tours where we would travel um, in Europe or in Japan and tour manufacturing facilities of, of OEMs. And I was very fortunate to be on a trip with Scott. Uh, we traveled from Munich to Milan uh, for, for that journey. Uh, I got to know you really well, Scott. We, we really hit it off. Uh, your energy was great your questions about technology were phenomenal. Um, but one of my favorite parts of that trip uh, was when we were uh, traveling, I think it was after the Blazer tour uh, on our way down to Speroni in Italy. Uh, is that, does that yeah. sound right to you? Okay. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And trees, and, trees on the tracks. Yeah, and tree. There was an avalanche, and there were trees on the train tracks, and we got rerouted through this tiny, tiny uh, town in the Swiss Italian Alps, 
and we all had to stand underneath the overhang of a gas station um, drinking beer and uh, Swiss schnapps. So uh, that's, I still have the photo uh, behind me. Uh, it's one of my favorite memories from that. Uh, and I'm glad, glad you're here with me today. Well, thanks for having it. And that, that was a blast. I mean, that was a, a huge cultural experience. Um, yeah, it was fun. I mean, sometimes when things go wrong, they're more fun than if they would have gone right. Absolutely. And I think that that kind of set the tone for the rest of the trip. And I think you even mentioned that because I started to freak out uh, because I didn't want people to not enjoy themselves. But you, you calmed me down uh, and said, look, sometimes these are the best moments on, on trips like this. Live for the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. And and today we're bringing Ashley with us uh, on this journey. Uh, Ashley, um, we'll, we'll dive a little bit more into your story, but really appreciate you being here. How is Northern Idaho? I, I can't say I've ever been. I envision potatoes and snow and mountains. Uh, what, what am I missing from that picture? Yeah, I absolutely love it. Prior to moving here, I hadn't actually visited, so I kind of came out here on a whim and just made the decision to move here, and I have zero regrets. I love the area. I love the people. I love the scenery, the activities. Awesome. It's all amazing. So working here and being able to live here, I feel so fortunate. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, after uh, we wrap on the episode, I, I'm going to want to pick your brain because if it's that beautiful, I think I need to plan a trip. Uh, maybe I just come see your facility. You need to plan that, a trip. Yeah, Definitely. It's just, just plan a trip. Okay. We won't let you down. Okay, yeah, it's really simple. Well, and and you said the same thing. Uh, trying to get out to uh, is it Hebron, Scott? Yep. yep. Yeah, you said you won't regret it. Just plan a trip. Uh, and I got to come tour your facility in 2019, and you were absolutely. It was the middle of summer in Nebraska, and it was just dust bullish leaving Omaha. But your facility <clears throat> was, <clears throat> pardon me, was one of the neatest manufacturing facilities I've ever seen. Uh, how many robots are you at now at, in Hebron? 17. Wow. And do you still have the robot that signs autographs? Absolutely. Yeah, we've actually got a couple that play that role. So yeah, I, I can go into that story if you want. Yeah, let, let's definitely talk about some robotics and technology. We'll get there in a little bit. Uh, but let's talk about the the journey, the cultural journey uh, that you have been on at Metal Quest. Uh, you started the company, Scott, in 1996. Is that correct? Absolutely. That's okay, exactly so right. uh, in the early stages of the company, what was the company culture like at, at MetalQuest? So I've got such a unique situation in terms of background. Um, you know, I was born and raised on a farm. And, you know, the Midwest, they're known for people just being nice, I guess. You know, you, you, hear, you hear a lot of, like, just the hospitality and just the overall niceness of the Midwest. And, you know, that's kind of how I was raised. It's how the people around me were raised. Mm -hmm. um, I actually started this company when I just turned 22. Um, it was wow. a very aggressive plan. Um, and I'll be flat honest, it was a horrible business plan. I would never <laughs> recommend it. Um, we're in a rural area of Nebraska. And why did I start the company here? Because when you're 22, you know, you don't really think about a lot of other things except hard work, determination, and passion, which is the most important aspect. Sure. Um, so from a culture standpoint, 
you know, quite literally, I was the only employee for the first six months. So to establish culture, you can blame yourself, you can be mad at yourself, and you can argue with yourself. But at the end of the day, it's yourself. Yeah. Um, add the first employee six months later, and that's when the whole culture really started. Um, the person that I brought on, you know, very similar to me, was another farm kid from Nebraska, and uh, very talented. And, um, you know, we worked together really well. And then we started putting a team together based upon, you know, literally how we wanted to be treated ourselves. I mean, just at the end of the day, this entire company really tries to epitomize, you know, respecting people for who they are and just literally treating people the, the way they want to be treated ourselves. And that's something that, you know, nobody's perfect. I'm not going to say we're perfect ever because we're not. We have problems like everybody else does. But at the, at the end of the day, the underlying theme is, you know, just trying to bring out the best in people by, you know, treating them like human beings. Sure. That, yeah. It, Human-centered leadership is undervalued and something that needs to definitely make a return to to our industry. Uh, Ashley, tell us about, uh, so when did you join the organization and, and what was the company culture like at that point? Yeah, so I joined uh, MetalQuest in November of 2020 okay. and um, I trained briefly in Hebron before at this point, I had made the decision to move to Idaho to help start this second location. So basically, immediately after graduating college, I started training in Hebron, um, shadowing some people and just learning, learning as much as I could before moving out here. And um, then basically, we went straight to Idaho and we started with a couple people from Hebron. And okay. um, I already had some well, actually, many applicants lined up to come in for interviews, and I had talked to like a hundred people from the area who had applied. Wow! And um, well, we got—I I should say—we got a hundred applications, and I had either—I called many of them, um, but yeah, we got a lot of interest right away, which was cool. That's awesome. Um, but as far as culture, I mean, it, it was kind of a similar situation where even though we have such an established background in Hebron and the company isn't a startup at all. Some mm -hmm. days it very much feels and felt like a startup <laughs> because we were starting from basically nothing and we were growing a team and trying to get so many different people and new people involved and get everyone on the same page. Yeah. It, it's tough. Um, we, I, I mean, we were pretty, pretty fortunate to, I mean, we brought in great people. And a lot of that was by design too, because we're very particular about who we bring on the team. We want to make sure that they are a cultural fit more, more than anything. Sure. Um, you can have whatever skills and experience, but if people don't like working with you, that's a problem. And we're going to have to do, we're going to have to make a change. So, and a lot of times that means just cutting the cord, unfortunately, but. So how, how, Ashley, how do you uh, determine that cultural fit it, during the interview process? Um, it, do you have a tool you use? Is it, is it intuition? Is it conversations with you and multiple people at the facility? How, how, have, how have you been able to navigate that? Yeah, so I was always, um, I would always interview with someone else. So I'm never alone during interviews. Um, but as far as phone calls, it's kind of a gut instinct. If they seem not at all interested or they're just looking for a job. When we, when we moved out here, we didn't have just a job to offer. Right. We needed people who were going to be on board with helping us get this place started and who were comfortable being a little uncomfortable some days and doing things that might be not 
aligning with what they've done in the past and just kind of an all all hands on deck atmosphere doing sure. what we all need to do to help get things going. Um, so initially that was really important. Like if you just, if you want your, um, like your strict work schedule and um, you're going to work <laughs> from here to here and you take your break at this time and right. Um, punch in, punch out, yeah, uh, yeah. leave it work not, at the end of the day type of mentality. Yeah. And it's not like we like to overwork people, of course, but this situation was just so dynamic and it's, it continues to be a little dynamic because we are, are still pretty new um, at this Idaho location. But, well, and um, I, th I think that Ashley, you probably, uh, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to speak over you there. Um, I, I think that you guys probably had a, a little different leg up on some other companies who try and open a second location because you did take a, a core group from Hebron. Um, tell us about that core group that you brought with you uh, to, to Idaho. Yeah, so at the start, we brought, um, we brought a, a larger team from um, our leadership group in Hebron, mm. and they were here for a couple weeks helping get the place started. Um, and these are people who have worked for the company for many years. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it was, we had a plan going out here and um, immediately got to work. They were, we knew when they were going to be here and when, when they were going to leave. So it was very important to do what we need, needed to do during that time. Um, after that, the people who actually moved here, so it was Scott Harms, myself, um, a manufacturing engineer named Ryan Broder, and um, our QA person here named James Hansen. Okay. So, and then eventually, um, a few months later, Chad Oswald, Oswald, our director of engineering moved out here as well. So he moved his entire family and that was, it was just a bigger decision. Um, wow. The rest of us were, the other, the other three of us, aside from Scott Harms, we were pretty young and at a good time in our lives to jump in and do something new. So yeah, that's the core group that started out here. I miss being that age where you could just <laughs> pick up and move. Uh, I did that a couple of times, actually, and uh, I really enjoyed those times. Um, so it sounds like Idaho and uh, Hebron are at a different cultural stage uh, just because of the newness of Idaho. So, Scott, uh, what is where is the culture in Hebron now? And where do you want to get it to? And then Ashley, same question. Where do you want to get the, the culture to in Idaho? You know, those are great questions. So, you know, it is a little bit different. And I think, you know, when you have individual entities, especially separated by those miles, it's hard to keep them, you know, I don't even think you want them directly identical. Yeah. Um, everything about our entire organization from day one, you know, I'm going to be the first to tell you, like, I am not great at everything. Like, I'm, I, I mean, like, I actually don't know some, some days if I'm good at anything, you know, you're just, you're trying to rally people and you're trying to, you know, you've got a vision and you've got determination and all of that. And you bring out the best in people. And, you know, we have never been, you know, what I call like a solar system universe, in which case the boss is the solar system and the, the sun, you know, and everybody orbits around, you know, that's not it. We have a very flat management structure and we have a team. Yeah. And within each each place, you know, we're building that team now. So like to answer your question, going back to Nebraska, you know, Nebraska is a bigger company. I mean, we've got, uh, you know, 65 ish people, 
you know, plus or minus, um, you know, in Nebraska. And we're in Idaho, you know, we're like 17-ish, um, okay. right, Ashley? I mean, somewhere right in there. Yep. Um, you know, so obviously you have a different dynamic because you're working a lot closer with a smaller group of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I found that was just so enjoyable in helping get Idaho started was, you know, like when Ashley explained, you know, like the, the camaraderie and the teamwork, you know, people from Nebraska came out to Idaho, you know, got the groundwork going and then basically turned it over, you know, to them. You know, it was like a whole new startup and it was like starting MetalQuest all over again, you know, that I felt to be a part of and that energy. And you know, she did a very good job of describing it's like when we brought people on, this was not, you know, an eight to five clock in clock out sort of <laughs> thing. Like there's things that I'll be the first to tell you I don't have the answer for and I don't know exactly how this is going to play out. We had a much more solid business plan starting Idaho than we did starting MetalQuest in the very beginning. You know, mm-hmm. don't make the same mistake twice. Right. And for the most part, to be honest, it executed pretty much exactly on schedule and we were happy. You know, w- one thing that Ashley had, had missed, you know, she did a really good job. Like when we went out to Idaho, she had, you know, basic, she had already been advertising. Now, I mean, putting on a timeline. You know, COVID obviously was going on and it was just ramping pretty much down, but there was a huge amount of uncertainty in 2020. And, you know, MetalQuest has always been the company that is not going to sit around and figure out and wait to see what happens. Like when people are uncertain, that's when you need to make moves. And that's exactly when we put together the whole Idaho project. You know, so when people were still not hiring and all of that, we were out there applying. So she had a, a very good pool of applicants so, yeah, I mean, she flew out there, right, or, I mean, she drove out there, sorry, right away in January. Um, and one of our guys, uh, our director of operations, you know, went there as well. So she hit the ground literally first part of January 2021. And she had a hundred and some applicants that she was already doing interviews on, you know, to help us build the, the infrastructure. Wow. <clears throat> That's great. That's great. So, Ashley, where do you want to get that that? culture too in Idaho. Uh, how big do you want to scale the the place to? And where do you want the culture to be? Yeah, I think it's a work in progress. And I mean, I, I love coming to work. I love the people I work with. I, I truly do. And I wouldn't say that if I didn't mean it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are days where things are really stressful, obviously, and where I want to pull my hair out and <laughs> <laughs> curl into a ball. <laughs> but overall, I really, really love what I do. And um, as far as culture goes, I think we're headed in the right direction. Um, it's it's such a transformative thing. Um, and because we're so we're such a small team here right now, yeah. if someone isn't meshing, it's easy to to pick that person out because they just stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. So um, and we've only fortunately, we've only had a couple instances of that. Um, but I really I think we're headed in the right direction. It's just the communication is so huge because we are such a small team. Yeah. We have to make sure that everything is accounted for and things are getting done and um, making sure we're all working together and carrying our own portion of the, the weight of the overall mission here. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. Um, Ashley. So uh, Scott is your dad. Um, and manufacturing, especially precision manufacturing, uh, has always been a multi-generational business, right? For the most part. Sure. There's, um, you know, people who, 
uh, are selling to private equity and and all of that. But for the most part, it's a it's a multi generational family type business in the precision manufacturing space. Um, what have what have been some of your challenges uh, as Scott's daughter coming in to the business? Um, not only as his daughter, but a woman in manufacturing. What what are some of the the challenges that you faced in your journey over the last two and a half years? So so when I started, um, I knew I could feel that not everyone was on board, or not necessarily not on board, sure. but just a little uneasy about the situation. Um, as far as work experience goes, I mean, all they the only impression they had of me was my during my time as a part-time um, machine operator during like during high school, basically after school and things like that. Okay. So I was really unproven. I was coming from an advertising background, which doesn't fit at all with <laughs> with any any of the, of the other positions that were existing. Yeah. Um, it, within the company, so I was kind of. I think a curveball to some people and um, they were unsure of what my role would be and if I was capable of pulling my weight. Yeah. And that was hard because honestly, I didn't know if I would be able to make the cut either because this was my first full-time position after college. I mean, I literally, this was the first thing I did after college. So I had never had that. I had an internship previously, but I had never had that full-time job yeah. experience where I was completely invested in a company and it was a little scary because I more than anything I just wanted to be able to prove myself and I knew that that would take time and I think I think most people are coming around because <laughs> they think that I mean they see that I truly am invested and I I care about the success of the company and I care about our people and I want us to be successful as a team um, so I I feel like that challenge isn't such a challenge anymore, but um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if there are still some individuals who are a little unsure and I don't blame them to be honest. Yeah. And, and then, so uh, have you had to, do you think that you've had to work harder to prove yourself um, than somebody else who maybe walked in the, off the street? Um, 100%. Not only, yeah. Okay. Not only because you're, the owner's daughter, but also because uh, you're a woman in, in this role, right? That That is fairly or was uh, unproven. Um, so tell us about that when you first came on board in, in November of 20, tough time, you know, worldwide uh, with what was going on. And um, so tell us about your... Uh, the work you did, the shadowing you did, what kinds of roles did you shadow uh, over the the training, quote unquote, uh, time period that you had uh, in November before you moved out to Idaho? Yeah, so I was only um, I was only shadowing and training for a couple months. And my primary objective was to get caught up to speed on all things HR, because I am the um, I serve as the HR manager for our Idaho location. So okay. that was the most important thing, being able to, um, or making sure that I was, I mean, compliant with HR policies and with um, labor laws and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. 
so that was my main objective. But on the side, I was learning things like shipping and receiving um, some manufacturing coordinator roles, which eventually evolved into doing more of that. Um, but I mean, so many different things. HR primarily while I was in Nebraska, just because that was so important. And we wanted to make sure we had our ducks in a row yeah. on that side and just hiring. And I was making a lot of phone calls. And so it was a little bit of training, but it was also a little bit of jumping in and starting to do some of the work while I was there. Got it. Got it. So uh, from Idaho, do you still do some of the HR functions for Nebraska? No. I, okay. So um, our HR director in Hebron, she is super helpful and she's, I, I talk to her often asking her questions or if I run into a problem and I'm unsure of how to handle it, I'll call her. Um, and there's a couple other people in Hebron I can call as well. But um, cool. I'm really thankful that we have that support support system there because I'm on the phone a lot. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I bet. I bet. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, um, Scott, you, you have more robots per capita in, in Hebron, at least. Um, I, I haven't seen Idaho, and I'll make that happen here soon. Um, but you have more robots per capita in Hebron than I've ever seen in any other facility. Talk us through uh, your journey with robotics and, and how it relates to, to people and culture and people strategies for MetalQuest. Absolutely. Um, so I mentioned before, you know, I started this company in a rural area of Nebraska. And again, probably not one of the better business plans, but, you know, this entire area consists of people that are used to hard work and, you know, they have determination and, you know, a lot of mechanical aptitude and stuff like that. So, you know, although we don't have a huge population density, you know, for the most part, we have people that are, you know, trustworthy, that, you know, have good mechanical skills, that care, that want to learn and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one thing I recognized early on is from an efficiency standpoint, there's a lot of companies that are really, I mean, doing things and we see it today, 10, 20, 30 years ago. I mean, they, they live yeah. today like it was 40 years ago. Yep. And with global competition, especially their days are numbered doing that. Mm -hmm. The very first machine uh, that I bought in 1996 was a three axis CNC lathe. I mean, it was a multitasking CNC lathe. Okay. And that word didn't even exist in 1996. <laughs> so the evolution of robotics was basically an evolution of doing things not the old-fashioned way, I guess, from yeah. day one. Um, in 1998, we purchased our first twin turret, twin spindle lathe. You know, we had a couple of vertical machining centers by that time as well. Okay. And, um, you know, we continued to push the envelope as far as what we brought out of our machines and what our people did. Because, again, keep in mind, we didn't have an abundance of people to pull from. So mm -hmm. we brought in some talented people with a shared vision and a shared goal. And we literally tried to bring out the most of every tool that we touched. Um, in 2011, we got our very first robot. And, you know, we knew that robotics, A, were not going away. And B, that we needed to turn it into a core competency um, because our ability to scale and our ability to grow was always going to be limited, you know, due to the population density in this area. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, again, going back, we, we analyzed, we had a good application for a robot. Um, it wasn't one that we just bought a robot to buy it. I mean, it's like, <laughs> Hey, this, this will actually serve a very viable purpose. And, you know, we taught ourselves how to do it. And I, I say, I emphasize that aspect because, you know, to this day, we're an authorized internal FAMIC integrator. 
Um, we buy naked robots from Fanuc and all of the, the integration elements, you know, for the entire life of the company since we've introduced them, we do ourselves. And I am super proud of the team that we've put together, you know, to make this happen. Um, and it's like once we get our first robot, you know, online, we immediately replicated the entire robot because it works so well. So we built an identical twin to it and Got put it in place. From there, we put a more advanced one in. We actually had a top-loading gantry robot, you know, so it was on a rail above two different machines. I mean, it was from wow. a technological sophistication process. It was three times, four times more complex than the first two we did. Mm -hmm. And then we evolved from there um, to where we've got two four robot cells um, to where they're all intercommunicating with each other. The latest project that we're doing right now that we're putting online is a 3D vision based bin picking cell uh, <laughs> to where there will be three robots on three horizontal machining centers, all coordinating, working together, um, literally just reaching into a box of random castings, picking them out and loading machines. So the operator will get presented with completely machined castings after literally doing nothing but pushing the box into position. Wow. Wow. That's, that's really amazing. And, and so how have you internally had to upskill uh, candidates and, and current employees to, to have them be able to operate this machinery, the, these robotics that they're not necessarily going to find anywhere else? Uh, it's not a skill uh, set that people can walk in off the street uh, when you're opening a, a, a new location like in uh, Idaho. So absolutely. And, you know, this this is about culture. And, you know, there are so many elements of culture that all tie into the subjects that we're talking about. So, for instance, as a company, we have a lot of technology around us. And I'll definitely answer your question. But just to kind of give you the foreground, yeah, please. You, know, you, you cannot in any way, shape, or form be a big brother when you start rolling some of this stuff out. I mean, because, you know, companies that don't have robotics within, they see a robot as a threat. It's mm -hmm. like, this is going to take jobs. Well, we've been in a little more unique situation because it's always been understood. You know, we just don't have the volume of people to hire that other companies were. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the very beginning, you know, just at that cultural level, you know, we've never, you know, like let someone go ever because of an automation or a robotic process or anything having to do with that. You know, our number one goal in bringing robotics in is to do jobs that, you know, we'll say like carpal tunnel prone jobs or just demeaningly mind numbing type jobs. It's always yep. doing the jobs that the average person just doesn't want to do because we don't, you know, we don't want people here that are just content at literally just doing the same thing day after day with not using their brain. We want people that are smart. So to answer your question, you know, you're right. Like in cornfields of Nebraska and bean fields, we don't just have robot programmers. So what you have to do is you have to develop those people. Right. And, you know, Ashley was talking about this a lot. You know, a lot of it goes down to gut feeling, but it goes back to the relationships and stuff like that. You have to get to know the people and then you find out, you know, where these, you know, the, the, their strong points and the, the, you know, the things that motivate them. And you start putting these people in positions, you know, to succeed. So the robot team that we put together is, is kind of a, an obscure sort of team that you wouldn't have necessarily, you know, say, hey, I want this person there, this person there. But these people are really good at it. And it's like in getting to know them, you find that, hey, they're very technical. You know, they, they love technology and embrace it. You know, they think out of the box and they can do things, you know, with these that 
no one else can or even dreams possible. And it's, they're very passionate about it. Yeah. When you have that passion, you can do some amazing things, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not hiring cookie cutter style. Um, you know, that's one thing that Ashley does. She didn't mention when we're interviewing people, I despise bullet point interviews. I despise them. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't want to interrupt her, but the number one thing that she does that I do and that our entire team does is when we're interviewing people, we get to know them. Like, Good. you know, I, I don't have a fixed direction. That conversation is going to go. Right. You know, I want to know what they're passionate about. I want to know what they care about. I want to know what their goal is for life for the next five years. And I mean, granted, no one can say, hey, like my goal for life is X. But, you know, you start to understand where they take pride in things. You know, do they care about their family? Do they not, you know, not care at all about their family, which is also <laughs> a huge red flag, right? I mean, right. it's things like this because it's going to be a character type you know, thing. It's like, as you learn, you know, as you meet this person, you know, as you learn about what makes them tick, you can see if they're a good cultural fit. And then you take those working relationships and you build upon that. And then you start putting them in positions, you know, of leadership, of empowerment and all of those sorts of things. So pretty much with every piece of technology we have in this company, it started with those concepts, yeah. you know, the working relationships with the person and then literally trying to bring out the best in them by putting in a position that they can thrive in. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Ashley, let's, let's continue this kind of, uh, train of thought, this, this line of, uh, questioning, but, but drawing it back to culture and, and culture is a, a very intentional process and uh, in creating culture, uh, within an organization. Um, and, and so talk to us about that hiring process a little bit more and and some of the intentions that you have uh around diversity inclusion um neurodiversity uh things of that nature do you have any strategies that you can share with uh the listeners about uh intentionally building a, a strong culture for metal quest uh in idaho there yeah, like Scott said, a lot of it is just, it's getting to know the person. Um, he's spot on as far as everything he said about um, just having a conversation and getting to know them. That's exactly what I do with every phone call, every interview. Um, do you have a, a fairly robust pipeline uh, of people? I mean, talk to us a, a little bit about that, I guess. Let's, let's start with the pipeline. So right now, and I, well, I guess pretty much solid for the past year and a half or so, no, we've really struggled to find people, especially given that we are so particular about who we bring on the team. Got it. Um, it's difficult to hire everywhere right now. Yeah. And the only advantage I guess we have is that we're so used to not being able to find people coming from a rural area mm -hmm. that our expectations were that we were going to have a very hard time finding people. So anything above kind of, I mean, coming from a community of a county of 5,000 people, um, <laughs> we're automatically going to have more applicants coming in the door. And that's, that's what we've experienced, but um, we are looking for the right fit. Yeah. And a lot of the people that I reach out to, unfortunately, aren't that right fit because they're just, they're just looking for a temporary job to pay the bills and they're not invested in the culture and what we're trying to do here and our 
objective. So do you think it's possible to take somebody who is just looking for a job and, and connect with them? I mean, have you had an instance of, you know, as you're, you're making these calls and having these interviews in having an impression of somebody that they were just looking for a job, but you were able to connect with them on a, a different level and Absolutely. share with them the vision and mission of Metal Quest and, and get them going and rowing in the right direction with you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, many, many people who apply, they are just, of course, they're looking for a job. I guess now that I say that, I realize anyone who's applying for a job is probably just looking for a job. But <laughs> No, it, but I, I, I meant what you knew. I, uh, you, you thought they were, you know, just clock in, clock out. Yeah. Uh, they may leave, you know, they, they don't have anything really tying uh, to the organization. Is that really what you meant? Yeah. And these are the types of people they're probably have applied at several different places and are at a point in their lives where they're making a change or um, uh, whatever the situation may be. They're looking for a place where they can fit in and they can pay their bills. And um, but they get excited when they come into a place like this. And I think it's pretty unique to come across a company that really does want to invest in their employees and wants to get to know them during an initial interview and just have a, a human to human conversation um, and not grill them about what skills they have. And mm -hmm. not that we don't go over those things briefly, but it's more about, are you a fit for us? And are we a fit for you and your life situation? Um, and that's what gets them excited. And then they get the, the bonus. Now they suddenly they have a job, <laughs> but they also have a place where they really fit in and they can potentially have a lifelong career here. I think, I mean, we have several people on our team who are super excited about where we're going in the future. And they can see that even though we're not, we're not where Hebron is right now, mm -hmm. they can see through the tunnel that we're getting there and we're going to do something cool. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, I think every organization uh, in the precision manufacturing space, that's one of the biggest challenges, especially smaller right and and you're in that smaller size group now um where you you've got to be able to connect that mission and vision and company values to the employees and and what they do every day uh in mm -hmm. order to to find that true uh cultural fit is, is that yep. been your experience absolutely and and sorry going back to um your uh question earlier about diversity and yeah. inclusion um, 30% of MetalQuest's workforce are women, and we're super proud of it. And a lot of it has been kind of just happened, but some of it has been by design as well because of our hiring strategy and just getting to know the person or yeah. the person, not looking at anything else outside of that. So are they are they capable of doing the job? Um, are they willing to learn and willing to work? It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Um, yeah. We're completely open. Great. That's awesome. Um, and 30% it is a big deal. I mean, that's, that's more than national average. Uh, I believe uh, I haven't looked at those statistics in a while, uh, of women in, in manufacturing, specifically precision, uh, manufacturing, uh, companies. Uh, 
what what kind of roles are they playing? Are are they machinists and operators and robot technicians uh, in Northern Idaho? Um, so we actually we only have a couple women um, here at our Idaho location, uh, shipping and receiving, and then myself. Okay. So we're tra- we're actively recruiting every day. And yeah. Unfortunately, it seems like the the tone of the area is a little they're not used to that. And we obviously want to break that mold, but I have not seen very many women applications come through and that's unfortunate. I don't know where they're at or what. Yeah. There's a problem there. So we want to make sure that we can break that mold. But right now we only have a couple women on our team in Idaho. Got it. So Scott, let's talk a little bit about, uh, and Ashley as well, let's talk about Hebron and uh, the, the hiring there. Are you continuing to, to have a healthy pipeline of people uh, at the Nebraska facility or, or are the struggles that you're having in Idaho also the struggles from Nebraska, which are the same struggles that the, the rest of the country is seeing? Yeah, the latter. I mean, basically in We've always had struggles, you know, bringing people, you know, and finding people in, in Hebron. I mean, Ashley said it, like there's 5,000 people in our county. You know, right. our, our town has around 1,500. And, you know, when people have a good work ethic and the area has a good work ethic, I mean, that's wonderful, but that means they've got a job <laughs> at right. the end of the day. You know, Nebraska leads the nation typically, um, you know, along with South Dakota in the lowest unemployment rates in the nation. Um, which I didn't is, know that. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, and it goes back to the work ethics and all of those sorts of things. And it's, you know, the good news is, is when you get people, you know, they're usually going to do better than average and stay with you. The bad news is it's hard to find. Sure. And, you know, just, you know, as a, a little background, you know, we started the Idaho location, you know, just because from a growth standpoint, you know, we had processes and we had technologies that we wanted to continue to grow upon. And we knew that we were going to struggle finding people you know, that could be in the leadership roles to make that happen. And, you know, we found those people in Idaho, which has been great. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that was the core reason that entire thing started. And going back to the COVID, you know, we made the decision to, if ever you were going to redesign and rebuild your company, you know, when there's so much uncertainty in the nation, if ever there's a time it's now, because you're already having to figure things out, you know, that you've never figured things out before. <laughs> um, so what we do in Idaho, and Idaho is not a separate company to MetalQuest. I mean, we're one and the same and we work together. And as I right. brought up, we're constantly communicating back and forth. We do different things in Idaho than we do in Nebraska with different machines and different processes. And the last thing in the world we want to do is be a competitor to ourselves. Sure. So, you know, we're leveraging new technologies, different technologies, and, and try and create a specialized environment right there and then build teams around those specialized environments kind of what we did in nebraska as well but big picture i mean we've had problems finding people from almost day one so as the entire country right now is running the same labor availability problems you know we're prepared i guess and as prepared as anybody sure and ashley if you were to find and identify in northern idaho somebody that may be a better skill set for Nebraska for Hebron, uh, is that something that you guys would then be able to hire and, and help relocate somebody uh, out to the Midwest? Definitely. Definitely. Um, a few of the individuals that we've hired at our Idaho location have actually gone to Hebron to visit our facility in Hebron and just see how, kind of see the foundation and 
see what our mission is and where we hope to be in however many yeah. years. Um, but yeah, Great. absolutely. I mean, and it goes both ways. If if someone applies in Hebron and they find out that, hey, maybe I don't want to move here. I yeah. I don't know. I don't see a life here. Um, we can recruit them out here. So it definitely goes both ways. That's great. And and yeah. so are you recruiting in areas outside of Northern Idaho and, and Hebron? We were for a while, but because we're kind of at, our facility is pretty much at a, we're at a point where we have as many people um, right. as we can at the moment. Um, this was all culture driven. I mean, as you're building something new, you can grow too big too fast. And that's right. something we're hyper aware of. We can grow bigger in, in Hebron. We're having trouble finding the people. In Idaho, we don't want to grow too fast, right. quite honestly. So, you know, we're adding people and, and truly bringing out the best in them. And there's a lot of people learning. And kind of what I said before in, in empowering people, you know, you've got to present them with new challenges and you've got to kind of build like a growth plan for them inside the company. Sure. And if you start throwing a whole bunch of people, you know, together at once, you start diminishing all that. And then next thing you know, you're making bad promises. And that's the last thing you want to do because you've broken trust and all of that. Yeah. So, um, you know, there, there's kind of a fine line between, you know, growing at a good rate and, and continuing to build and, you know, doing it too fast as well and then jeopardizing everything you're doing. Absolutely. <clears throat> that career progression, that that development personally and professionally is is a big part of why people join and stay with organizations. So it's great to be mindful of that. Um, <clears throat> so let's, uh, how does, with all the robotics, right? And, and it being something that, uh, a lot of uh, employees, job seekers in uh, our industry haven't seen. How, how important is a culture of safety uh, and, and how do you drive that home at, at your facilities? Oh, it's tremendously important. I mean, that everything has to revolve around safety first, um, you know, in robotics and stuff. So, I mean, this, this is a very big topic, you know, because there's robots and, you know, cobots, you know, are being mass marketed, you know, yeah. as a very safe robot to be around. Yeah. Now, it's like we personally do not have cobots. And you're saying like, well, why don't you have any cobots? It's like, well, going back to safety and going back to what we do, it's not that there's anything wrong with cobots. At the end of the day, a cobot is a robot, period. You know, the processes and stuff we're putting in place you know, typically are going to be more automated. And I literally want the speed of the robot, you know, right. robots are typically slowed down because of that safety element and all of that. So right. you know, we built fencing, we built shielding, you know, enclosures and all of that, that these robots work in. And then we make sure that they're accessible. I mean, we have lockout areas and, and different things like that. So, and, you know, you have to go in there and there's a safe, you know, way to do it and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's, it's tremendously important to, to create, you know, a culture that, that prioritizes safety and, and making sure that, you know, from like my leadership position down, that it's something that is, you know, made known that this is a priority. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Ashley, as manufacturing as an industry continues to evolve and adapt to uh, the, the new challenges that the industry will undoubtedly face, what do you see as uh, some of the biggest uh, obstacles that Metal Quest will face over the coming years? A big challenge that 
is always going to be a challenge. And I think most manufacturers can relate just getting into different markets and staying diversified enough so that you're not oversaturated in any one um, industry. Yeah. So we tried really hard to do that recently and especially after COVID. And that's something that's heavy on our minds all the time. Yeah. Okay. Scott, what, from your standpoint, uh, what are some of the bigger opportunities uh, that, that you have being such a technical, technologically forward company uh, that has a good culture? What are some of the biggest opportunities you have as, as the industry evolves? So going back to challenges, it, it all fits together. To me, you know, we have positioned our company, you know, to be different than a lot of others in a good way. And, you know, when I think of the challenges, you know, trying to answer the question you just asked myself, you know, like the global economy that we've all known for the last, you know, 20 plus years, it's not working like it used to. I mean, right. COVID pretty much decimated things. And, you know, international outsourcing options from a lot of the major OEMs and, and some of the companies that you're used to buying from regularly, you know, they're hit and miss. I mean, supply chain problems have been all over the news and you're still seeing them to this very day. Yeah. So when I see the problems, you know, that we're going to be experiencing, it, it's all in relationship to that. You know, so for instance, as we try as a, com as a country, as we try and insource things back to America, you know, it's just we lost the manufacturing you know, just the desire and the drive. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's so unfortunate when manufacturing is looked on as a derogatory field, because That's quite right. honestly, it's a tech occupation. Yeah. I mean, we use technology and manufacturing that blow people's minds. Right. And it's so minimized so often. And it's just like, looked down upon. So the challenge that I feel is to figure out a way to kind of rally this country back, you know, to the manufacturing powerhouse that it, it used to be you know, and, and still can be leveraging that technology that, you know, we've kind of built as our foundation to truly be cost competitive on the world market. Um, we have been cost competitive on the world market on several parts, you know, that we produce in volume, mm -hmm. but it's the smaller parts, you know, that are always the challenge and, you know, making sure that as a country, we can do that in a way that doesn't continue to drive inflation. Yeah. Uh, and, and so Ashley, this is a, a good segue. Um, how does the industry as a whole appeal to younger generations? Um, because that's really, uh, Scott, I think what I'm hearing you say is, is we, we've got to get back to that, that manufacturing uh, way of life in this country. But in order to do that, I think we need to, you know, appeal more to, to younger generations. Ashley, as somebody from that younger generation, um, how do we appeal to, to, people your age and, and younger that are just looking at their uh, future and, and their careers? So I think awareness is one of the biggest issues, unfortunately. It seems like a lot of people don't even know that manufacturing really exists. Um, it, it's an industry that's taken for granted largely, I think. Yeah. Um, and something that we've really done and have done for many years is just try to market ourselves and market the cool stuff we're doing um, and I'm a little biased because I'm in marketing, but I think that's so important <laughs> yeah. because we do have an awareness problem. So what does it hurt to um, show off the industry? Um, right. If you're doing, I mean, a cool project, showcase that project. Um, obviously, NDAs can be an issue, but <laughs> just do what you can to show off what you're doing because this is such a cool and exciting industry and there's a place for everyone, no matter, I mean, 
so many different positions. You don't have to be a, a certain type of person um, or a type of personality. There yeah. is a role for you, um, undoubtedly. I couldn't have said it better myself. That was that was a great, uh, great soundbite. Thank you. Um, so, Scott, what are three initiatives, three things that you have implemented in Metal Quest as a whole? Could be either location uh, that has changed the culture of the organization for the better. Um, do you have three defined things that you can think of? Yeah, so I'm going to try. I guess is the best way. I'm going to try. Yeah. So I, I've touched on a couple. I guess to me, the initiative from day one is literally just treat people the way the way you want to be treated yourself. Right. You know, develop developing working relationship with people, and you know, just as literally bring out the best in them and just make sure that they're not just coming to work for a job. I mean, they're coming to work because they enjoy it and to grow. And yeah, we all have bad days. Everybody has bad days. And I'm not by no means, you know, have we created a utopia, but what we've created is a camaraderie and a drive and a, you know, a desire to bring out the best in everyone around. And that's, that to me is contagious. And I yep. see, I see it. And that's, that's my passion is literally watching people, now do things that I can't do anymore because I have other jobs and like I'm <laughs> kind of living vicariously through them. You know, sure. that to me is, is super rewarding. It's like, that's number one, yeah. you know, from an actual thing that most people don't realize, I guess, or don't necessarily think about, you know, in that exact same process, as you build people, one thing that we've made mistakes on and we continue to work on just because somebody is really good at one thing, doesn't mean they will just naturally be good at the next thing. So, you know, elaborating a little bit on that, you know, it's very easy to take a person, we'll say, that knows everything, you know, about machining processes and all of that, and maybe move them to a scheduling, you know, position or something. Mm -hmm. It's like, you may be setting them up to fail. And it's like, at the end of the day, they want to advance and they see it as a challenge, but you need to make sure that you're looking at those roles and those skills and the, the you know, the person's capabilities, you know, in an unbiased manner, you know, even though that can be hard because you've developed the working relationships and the friendships and all that with them. Yeah. So it's constantly evaluating, you know, literally from the top down, you know, and th this conversation has happened, you know, up to me, you know, telling me that I should not be doing certain things because, hey, you know, it's like we've got other people that are doing better at that. And I take it well. It's, it's keeping the open lines of communication, mm. you know, and again, the flat management structure to make sure as a team, we're all bringing out the best and people aren't taking on things that they are weak at. Because at the end of the day, we're all very good at certain things, yeah. you know, making sure those, they, those maintain your focus. And what happens is you start to get a level of disorganization when you don't do that and people get frustrated and they start you know, taking it out personally on some of the people that were literally set up to fail because of management decisions to put them in a position that they weren't good at. Yeah. So that's a very convoluted thing that can be sometimes emotionally driven, but you've got to always step back and look and say, hey, do we have the right players in the right positions? You know, not that they're not talented, not that they're not capable, but making sure that you're playing to everybody's strong suits all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it can, it can be deployed in a way that's not offensive or it's hurtful. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's easy, you know, to drop in that, that rut, I guess you might say. Yeah. And I guess the last thing is, is probably just, this goes kind of parallel to, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated yourself is just create a family type atmosphere. I mean, to be honest, like 
I know you can't probably do that as easily in a, in a multi-hundred, you know, person company, but, you know, there are still ways of doing that. It's just, it's the little things, just showing the appreciation, just having the conversations, mm-hmm. you know, and just having people not scared to communicate with you, you know, being available. And I, I, it's, it's probably a little parallel to treat people the way you want to be treated yourself, but you know, we've worked very hard at creating a family atmosphere within MetalQuest literally from day one. And we're doing the exact same thing in Idaho, you know, with the exact same personalities and the people. So by making sure that you're hiring the right cultural fits, you know, you keep that family type atmosphere. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like people will do a lot, you know, to help a company when they care about it. Yeah. And building that environment where you keep that care and you keep that, you know, that passion and all of that, you can do some amazing things. You really can. You really can. And I really liked, you know, right people in the right seats. Uh, so many times in our industry, we see people promoted because they were a great operator, machinist, uh, quality person, right? Uh, and they're promoted into a leadership position. Um, but they either don't have the drive or the skill set to be a good leader. And that's a really tough thing, I think, for people in, in this industry to, to grasp, but top level leaders, especially, um, that just because somebody was a great machinist or, or a great quality inspector uh, doesn't mean they're going to be a great leader for that team, right? And, mm-hmm. and so you've got to identify who is the right person uh, for that role. So I like that a lot. Uh, as we wrap up the episode, everything or every episode, I like to give the guests a, an opportunity to give some final thoughts. Uh, Ashley, alphabetically, we're going to start with you. Um, what, what are some parting thoughts that you have, uh, for anybody who is happening to, to be listening to the podcast? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I'm super thankful to have been a part of this conversation. Um, anytime I'm invited to do something like this, it's feels kind of surreal because <laughs> I'm just, I'm so new to the industry and I feel like I have no idea what I'm talking about on anything. So it's really cool to be a, a part of something like this. Well, um, you crushed it. You did a great job. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm, I'm so thankful to be in, involved in manufacturing. It's not ever something that I thought I would be a part of. Um, I didn't envision myself being involved in this industry whatsoever. I had totally different plans for life. Wow. Really glad that life took me here. Um, I wouldn't have done anything different. I wouldn't have made a different career choice um, at all. So I'm really glad that I did this. Well, we're happy to have you here too, Ashley. Uh, I'm excited for uh, to follow your future in, in the industry and, and with Metal Quest and what you're able to do uh, within the organization. So welcome to Thank the you. industry and, and keep kicking ass. Um, <laughs> Scott, what about you? What are some parting thoughts that you have for, uh, for the listeners today? You know, I want to, you know, ditto what Ashley said too. It's like, thanks for, you know, having us on and thanks for, you know, letting us be a part of this. Um, you know, I've said before, I'll say it again, I'm super proud of our team. Um, you know, I'll, I'll put our team against, you know, anyone, you know, for its size in terms of what we can uh, achieve. 
you know, through our initiative and determination, hard work, all that. You know, I'm super proud of super proud of Ashley. You know, it's obviously I'm, you know, I'm her dad, and to me, it's been so fun to work with her because <laughs> you know she gave you a very humble um, perspective within this podcast. I mean, she is a very tough girl, <laughs> and you know some of the stuff she's gone through that you know she, I mean, not really gone through like I mean, we could all have it worse, but. Regardless, just some of the, the issues that she's overcame and stuff like that in literally getting dropped in. And I know what I've asked of her, the way she's performed to me as a dad. It's like when I'm learning from her at her age, to me, it's like that's been just super rewarding. So, that's awesome. you know, um, it's, it's nothing, you know, I didn't know she was capable of and she turned around and delivered and, you know, our entire team, you know, working together, you know, her working with them, like, She's helping make our team better. Our team is helping make her better. And it's the exact type of chemistry that, you know, to me has been just fun to be a part of. That's awesome. And I can hear in your voice, Scott, just having known you for as long as I have, I can hear the pride in your voice, but I don't think it's necessarily only pride as a father. I think it's just pride in this human being that you have within the organization. Am I picking up on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I mean, Ashley said before, it's like she's had to work harder because she's my daughter. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, any, any second generation or third generation, when they enter an organization, it's just human nature and it's not fair, but it's reality. They're yeah. going to have to work harder to prove themselves than just the guy off the street. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to reference before when I mentioned that, like, you know, she's had to work harder to achieve the exact same thing. And you know, probably not given the the trust in the very beginning that a total stranger may have been given, and uh, she's knocked it out of the park. That's awesome. Yeah. My my dad has really high standards, really really high standards. <laughs> I do. I do. So, so and even higher standards for his kids. So I'm really glad that I've made him proud. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And uh, I will say, Ashley, I've got uh, a, an idea for a follow up episode uh, that we will do. Uh, just you, me, and and another person that I've got uh, in mind um, awesome. that I think would be a, a great follow-up episode in a couple of months here. Um, but thank you both very much for being on today. This has been an awesome conversation. Uh, I've learned a lot about culture, robotics, um, and, and really something that isn't a big uh, or a very common thing with precision manufacturing, and that's opening multiple locations. So uh, I've learned a lot today. Uh, thank you both very much for being on. Uh, everybody, that's a wrap for today's episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed our conversation with Scott and Ashley Harms and have learned some valuable insights about building a successful manufacturing culture. Um, from Cutting edge technology to empowering initiatives and commitment to diversity and inclusion, MetalQuest Unlimited is a shining example of a company that prioritizes its people and culture. Uh, I want to thank again Scott and Ashley for sharing their time and expertise with us. And we encourage our listeners to check out MetalQuest Unlimited uh, and see firsthand what the incredible work is that they're doing in uh, the industry. If you have any questions for Scott or Ashley or have comments about the episode, please contact me at manufacturingculturepodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please, please, please 
leave us a review. It helps the show. It's definitely not for my ego. Uh, it's so that more people hear it. The more people who like and review the show, the more it comes up in algorithms. So please leave a review, even if you just said uh, something like, I like robotics because we talked about robots today or uh, something of that nature. Just, just leave a review. Uh, anyway, join us again next time for another exciting episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, where we will continue to explore the company cultures in the world of manufacturing. Until then, have a great day and keep making things. Thank mm -hmm. you.